is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Sammy Lopez, and we cover a lot from his journey to producing, his self-talk, the two-word check-in, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Sammy Lopez. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Sammy Lopez. Sammy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I'm so, so happy to be here and to just share some space together. You are working on quite a lot. <laughs> and I, <laughs> from afar, I have been admiring the vast amount of resources and education and help that you've been giving to individuals within the industry and all of the, the moves you were making as a, as a creator and producer. Um, before we get into all of the more recent history, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? You know, my entertainment dreams, I, I never really identified um, in one space as a kid, if that makes sense. I always, you know, wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be the one putting it together. I wanted to be the one making the costumes and, you know, finding ways to get audience members. And, you know, my... Uh, some of my earliest memories when I started making theater and, you know, dreaming of being in the entertainment industry, my sister was a freshman in college when I was in kindergarten. And so um, she would have some of her student run like organizational group meetings at my parents' house uh, in Los Angeles. And all of these women would come over with one of her groups and as they would enter the house like I had I created many tickets on sticky notes and I would pass out tickets and everybody who came in for the student run group meetings would just know that coming to the Lopez home for a group meeting meant also seeing one of Sammy's performances that was a one-man band show that I created every time I knew that my sister was having a meeting and so I think that kind of summarizes me as a kid in a sense of you know I was down to be the ticket taker I was down to be the writer and the performer and the tech person and so um, my dreams as a kid were kind of like I want to do it all. I I love that. Was there a defining moment for you that put you on the course of, uh, yeah, I'm going to do this for a living. I'm, this this will be what I do. Yes, absolutely. There is, um, you know, I, I, I can still visualize the moment almost. And I know that feels, um, you know, crazy to think that as a kid, like this, the singular moment of sitting in a theater and looking on stage and seeing a little brown boy performing in Paquito's Christmas um, at the Pasadena Civic um, in Los Angeles. You know, I, I, I still remember that moment um, because, you know, traditionally my, my abuelita, she's the one that really um, taught me about the ritual of going to theater and how um, special and, you know, privileged going to the theater was. And, you know, we would dress up and she took me to opera. She took me to plays. She took me to, you know, stuff that was just happening at, uh, you know, outdoor gazebo. Like she took me to all different types of pieces, but every holiday she took me to see the Nutcracker. And I would, you know, this would be like my favorite thing that we did together, but, it, you know, it was the Nutcracker. So I knew to get, like, I would get my, 
tickets in the stocking every year and we would go. And, um, but one year she decided to take me to Paquito's Christmas, which was happening. And so instead of the Nutcracker, we went to this other show that, um, you know, I had no idea what to expect. And I think, um, you know, that's type of the best type of, um, uh, theater to me, it's when it exceeds your expectation or where it takes you to places where you did not expect to go. And I remember that feeling as a kid with my abuelita in that audience and seeing the little boy who played Paquito come out on stage. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And, you know, like I said, I didn't necessarily know if being on the stage was what I, um, definitely wanted in that moment but it was just the idea of like seeing someone like me on that stage was so powerful and so it's it's definitely a moment that's stuck in my in my memory and it's it um it does inform a lot of my uh you know choices as a theater maker now it's you know how do I um you know provide that type of opportunity for new theater uh new theater goers and specifically young audiences. It's how do we allow them to see themselves in a space that's um, so vulnerable and so public, like on a stage, you know? So it's um, something that I carry with me a lot. Was there any standout pieces of advice or, or little word snippets that she's ever shared with you or mentioned to you on life or theater? You know, she is always um, at my abuelita is amazing because she is so to the point and <laughs> she's, she is a fellow Aries as me. And so we actually our days, our birthdays are one day apart from each other. So we we've celebrated our birthdays together for many years. And um, so I, I feel like out of out of everything that she said to me, um, it's keep going. And, you know, I, I know that that's such a simple phrase, but um, my abuelita is a marathon runner and she um, she didn't start running uh, marathons until her 60s. And wow. to me, um, you know, and, and I've asked her because I'm currently developing a show about her um, called Corre Abuelita Corre, which is, you know, run abuelita run. And it's um, about her running the marathon. And it's intended for two to five-year-olds. It's going to be a theater for the very young piece that's premiering with New York City Children's Theater in 2023. But um, so I've been interviewing her a lot throughout the past few months about um, specifically running the marathon and mentally what goes into that process. And, you know, the, the phrase just keep going came up again. And so I just think it's such a powerful way to think of, you know, when, when your mind is, is so powerful and, you know, the way that we speak to ourselves is, um, you know, as we, we as humans do focus so much on how we speak to others, but we don't focus enough on how we speak to ourselves. And so, you know, I think that simple phrase of keep going that Abuelita says, I think personally, it's like that it saying keep going is for myself. It's for, you know, it's for, for giving your, your mind the ability to believe in yourself. And I think that um, it's, it's always been a phrase that I've loved that she, that she says, even in, you know, birthday cards, 
it's very simple. She just says, keep going. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's only two words, but it means so much and how difficult it can be sometimes <laughs> to keep yeah. going. How how has your self-talk um, evolved, improved? Self-talk to myself? Yeah, and, in, yeah. In, a, in the keep going mindset, maybe the, oh. you know, particularly when it comes to self-doubt. What is the, yes. what is that self-talk? Oh my gosh. You are just hitting the, an amazing <laughs> spot that it has been such a challenge, especially as a producer. It's, sure, you know, yeah. how you, you don't really learn how to produce and until you're producing and, you know, there, no one really teaches you how to, you know, make the thing until you're making the thing. And so, right. So a lot of um, the way that I speak to myself and, and um, understanding the power of language has been a journey in the last few years. You know, I think if you were to ask me that question in 2019, it would be totally different. But I think my journey at this moment is really identifying um, uh, descriptive words for my feelings and my emotions. Hmm. I think it's easy, it's easy for us to generalize, especially when we're all in such unique head spaces then, you know, the, the pandemic al allowed us to really look inside and gave us the moment to pause and really think about the, the way that, you know, external sources make us feel or, the way that, you know, our careers are going or where we want them to go. And I think um, for me, learning learning how to really describe the way that I'm feeling other than I'm fine or I'm doing great. Um, like I, I'm interested in, in unpacking fine. I'm interested in unpacking great or not great or I'm sad, but like, what am, what am I really feeling within that sadness? Like, I think it's, um, it's been exciting for me to be on this journey of, of just uplifting, you know, how, how amazing descriptive words, something I've introduced um, to my producing teams in, you know, at the start of our meetings. And, you know, this is very much stolen from Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Um, but you know, we've, we've started to do the two word check-in and uh, we started at the top of every meeting, or at least when we can remember to start the top of every meeting with the two word check-in. And it really has been illuminating and, and um, it allows, I think everybody who's in any given uh, situation or meeting situation in that room to kind of understand where we're all coming to the space from in any given moment and the fact that you know our two were checking at the top of the day can be totally different than our two were checking at the end of the day and how beautiful is that and how beautiful is it can you walk into a space feeling anxious and leave the space feeling peaceful and so um it's it, it's um something that i've been really working on and and i love the ability to learn new words um, that align with my feelings. You know, I'm, it's, it's almost just trying to really focus on this concept of specificity and intention um, behind each word. 
for those who don't know, could you explain what the two word check in is? Yes. So it's basically, um, you know, instead of, you know, jumping on Zoom and being like, how is everyone today? Like, and people go into a long, you know, saying what they did over the weekend or, you know, which obviously can still happen, but, you know, entering the space with saying, you know, two descriptive word to describe your feelings. Like today I'm jumping on this Zoom with, you know, true excitement to be here. So I would say excited and nervous, mm. you know, I, I get nervous with, you know, how powerful words are. And so, you know, at the end of this call, you know, if we didn't follow it up with the two word check and I'm sure that they would have evolved by then, but sure. um, I think it just allows everybody on any given call or in, in the space to just acknowledge each other's feelings of where someone's coming at. And um, I think that's been something that I've taken away from this pause in our entertainment industry. It's, it's the giving space to allow for access needs or to allow for um, just acknowledgement of where we're entering any given space and release the expectation of making people come with that 110% attitude of, you know, let's do this because sometimes that, let's be real, like that's just hard, especially with all of the events that have gone on in the world in the last two and a half years and continue to go on in the world. It's, you know, choosing to be intentional about the way we treat our coworkers or our collaborators to me is really valuable. And, and so to answer your question, that two word check-in really gives you a lot of information um, mm -hmm. as you start a call, you know, and I, and I think it's, it only um, allows the individual to, to take a pause and think like, how am I feeling? What is my body checking right now? You know, how is my heart feeling today? How's my brain feeling today? Like, did I sleep wrong last night? Is that affecting my attitude? Or, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just a great way to start the, the day with a little bit of uh, more awareness. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. Bef before I keep asking these questions where we're diving deep, um, I, I am curious, what was the journey for you between performing and then producing? How did that, how did that evolve? You know, I was producing before I even realized that I was producing <laughs> when I was, <laughs> when I was, um, in high school, I started putting together these cabarets with my uh, community theater and, you know, they were all fundraisers. So the first one that I did was for, uh, to raise money for Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, I think we raised like $12,000 um, at that cabaret. And it was like such a, a feeling that was bigger than myself than just, you know, getting on stage and doing a show. It's like, wow, I, I put this together. I got all of my friends from my theater group to, you know, sing a song and somehow we got donations for it. And, and I, but I didn't think more, more about that other than like, that was cool. We brought people together and, you know, that kind of same feeling was feeding me artistically while I was um, also performing. And so I, I ended up going to college for, um, I studied musical theater. And um, while I was in college, I 
I kind of continued that cabaret process where I um, built a cabaret series with a theater, uh, a student-run theater organization at the school. And my roommate um, was who is now my producing partner. Um, the two of us built this cabaret series together. And so it's kind of funny because now that we're producing shows on Broadway together, it's we we were creating these shows at college without realizing like, oh, is this actually like, were we foreshadowing our experience? Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, it wasn't until I got out of college when I kind of put the pieces together mentally that, you know, oh, everything I've been doing has actually been producing. No one's actually just taught me what producing was. And so it was through an internship that I had um, at the New York Musical Theater Festival where we, um, you know, put 30 musicals together in 30 days. It was a crazy uh, summer experience. And uh, I was a general management intern. And my mind was blown with just the way that the uh, administrative side of theater is. And I was just so happy to be involved in conversations that extended from, you know, the unions to the way that we're going to pay artists to the marketing, to the press. It was just, I, I liked to be a part of all of it. And it kind of goes back to the story I was sharing earlier, you know, with my sister's shows that I, I would perform for her group. It's like, I wanted to be a part of all of it. I, mm. And so I think when I realized that, um, and I realized the, the way that being an actor, um, you know, made me feel it, it I always felt um, like I didn't have the space in the industry as an actor. I couldn't really identify, you know, I was never, um, you know, my my skin tone is a bit lighter. And so I am very white passing in a lot of um, brown spaces. And so I, there were, and, and there's a lot to unpack within that conversation in the sense of privilege and, and my um, proximity to privilege. And so, you know, I think as an actor, you're very much, um, you know, the second you walk in the room, there is an opinion placed on you for the purposes of where you fit in any given show or, you know, TV show. And, you know, it, it kind of got to me when I went in for, um, my agent sent me in for Blue Bloods for like the fifth time okay. for Bodega Boy. And I was like, I cannot be sent in for another Bodega Boy. Like it was yeah. like, eating me alive. And so while I was feeling all of these, uh, these, you know, very pigeonholed um, feelings from being an actor, at the same time, I was a part of this internship where I was feeling empowered as an artist. I was like, wow, I could be a part of the making of shows. I could be a part of the, you know, the intricacies that goes along with budgeting a show. And um, so I, I really just kind of allowed myself to keep going, keep pushing through the anxiety and the, um, almost external feelings of, 
you know, well, if I leave performing, what will my family think? What will my teachers that worked with me at my conservatory for the last four years think? You know, I was, everything I was thinking was external. And I was like, well, actually, what is bringing me joy? And it was uncovering this new feeling of, you know, putting putting something together. And, and you know, I was kind of doing it for the eight years before I realized I was doing it. So, um it was the hard transition, but I will say that I, I've, I found a greater sense of joy by seeing incredible artists in a room build something that is special in that moment and cannot be recreated um, without those individuals in any given, given room or rehearsal room or um, I, I just find that's the greatest gift of producing. It's um, watching others bring bring themselves to a project, and so I think it that that sense of joy um, I think has really charged me through that process of moving from actor to producer. Uh, do you have any mentors, and are there any standout pieces of advice you've received? Yes, I, I have a, a, a few mentors and, um, you know, they, they all come from various parts of my communities. Um, but one woman who really stands out for me, um, I met on my first day at Center Theater Group um, when I started working there in Los Angeles. And it was my very first day. She came up to me and she was like, you, Lopez? Uh, come here. And so um, Diane Rodriguez is her name. And she was uh, one of the associate artistic directors of Center Theater Group. And um, something that she told me right off the bat was subvert the roles. And I didn't quite understand what that meant at the time. Um, but she kept saying, like, you're doing this, just keep subverting the rules. And so I you know, that, that's a phrase that constantly sticks with me. And, um, you know, um, unfortunately, Diane passed through, um, passed during the last two years. And um, so it's, you know, because she's no longer with us and I truly just want to always bring her name into spaces that um, inspire me. I, you know, I, I constantly think of that. I, I think of what are the ways that I'm subverting the rules. Another thing she told me was, um, how do you give a little so you can take a lot? Um, and when I think of that, I think of a lot of my day to day right now in terms of producing. It's, you know, my goal as a producer is to make the industry and the systemic um, uh, the systemic issues that we have inherited as an industry, how do I make it just 1% better each day? Because in order to change, change the system, we also need to operate within the system. And so I, you know, I, I think of Diane in those moments because, you know, of, of how, how do we give a little until we can take a lot until we can take what uh, the work that we have been doing and and those seeds that we have planted, like how do we allow those to grow? We need to be in community. We need to be in collaboration and coalition. It's it's a very nuanced conversation. So I think as long as, you know, 
we lead with our values in those moments, then we will be able to take a lot. Um, And then the last thing that she would say is, you know, every artist needs to have, uh, you know, passion and good business sense. And so, you know, the show, the business of the show business is often overlooked, especially within artists. And, you know, I want to be a producer that, brings transparency to those business conversations in a meaningful way. Um, You know, every artist is kind of on their own journey with, you know, how much they want to be involved with their contracts or, you know, the numbers side of things. And, you know, I respect whatever any artist decides to, to, um, you know, how they feel comfortable a part of those conversations. But I, you know, I really want to build that transparency into my work. And so, you know, having business sense to me is really important because it just ultimately allows everyone at the table to have more agency about their work. And, um, you know, if if we're not able to come to a space where we feel fully valued, then I don't believe we actually do show up with our best work. And, um, you know, I I think that that's um, a part of a part of my dream for the industry is the curiosity of the business and how we can just information share a little bit more and a little bit more intentionally. That's, that's such a, that's such a great point (laughs) because it is, it is so, it is so locked up and the information, it's not, you know, it's not precious information. It is, you know, it's, it's, it's common business sense and the way a show is produced. Uh, everyone should be able to know how to do that. That should be, that should be knowledge, you know, and then you can make a decision whether or not you want to go into that. But it's, it's the way you're sharing this information with upcoming new creatives, I think is going to really change the game. So kudos to you for that. (laughs) Um, I want to talk a little bit about asking, asking questions, how they've improved, asking for money, asking for permission from yourself or others. How has, how has asking changed for you? You know, asking for anything to me is very, very hard unless it's, coming from a place, uh, from a genuine place of, you know, either, either leading with that curiosity or knowing that there is some type of, um, you know, kind of all, all boats rise in sense or mentality behind it, you know, like, um, I, I really respect, you know, those the folks that come onto my teams and and so it's you know always my ask is going to come with some type of level of like this is coming with mutual respect and you know I, I think asking also comes with listening to me they they're hand in hand and um you know I'm curious in in making my asks and and therefore how I listen to someone's response to my ask you know, I, I want to listen tangibly. I want to be able to, you know, activate what their needs are through my ask in a, in a powerful way. You know, what, what does it mean when we, you know, challenge our listening 
to be tangible, you know, how, how is it active? And so, um, I don't know if that necessarily fully answers your question, but it really, I do see them side by side. And, and I think that's always the hardest thing to, to do, especially in the sense of producing it's, you know, um, I feel like listening is at the top of the job description of a producer, Mm. you know, it's, it's listening to the the folks that you bring into the room and and letting them fly and letting them um, have bigger dreams than you can possibly comprehend. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.